You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, $5, 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. You know how do they say that this is like not your granddad's version of something? Uh, this is definitely not your granddad's Perry Mason, and it's kind of hardly Perry Mason to begin with, <laughs> to be honest. It's like... It follows the general structure of Perry Mason from everything I've heard. That's a tough one, because um, I've never read any of the things it's originally based on. But uh, yeah, it's not your grandfather's Perry Mason in any shape, way, or form. Because uh, your grandfather's going to be like, oh dear, <laughs> like every time something happens. <laughs> oh yeah, if you're going in looking for that wholesome-ish lawyer show from the 60s with the charismatic lead character, the first episode's definitely going to shoot down those expectations almost immediately. <laughs> Yeah, from the get-go. Um, well, I'll, I'll go. I'll get into the the plot of this. So Perry Mason. Uh, well, the hold show, the, before we do that, let me introduce everybody here. Uh, oh, hey, sure. I'm Justin Zarian. Uh, I it's my trend lately that I'm the guy sitting in the background who has not seen the show fully. We actually <laughs> we were gonna watch it, but my wife watched the first episode and she kind of just looked at me and went, "This is not Perry Mason," <laughs> pretty much. Um, <laughs> but we do have two people who did watch the show. We got Mike Riojas over here. Howdy. And we got Alex. Hello. Hey. So, uh, Mike, continue, please. What is the plot of this so-called Perry Mason? <laughs> yeah, so the plot of this Perry Mason is that at some time in the 1940s, or 1930s, actually, um, there's a couple called the Dotsons whose, whose baby Charlie was kidnapped and held for ransom. And so it opens up with them trying to pay off this ransom only to find out that their child uh, had been killed and sort of mangled in a way to make it look like they you know they they were still alive this cuts into the fact that they now need to figure out like what caused all this and figuring out to make sure they clear everybody because the cops want to arrest somebody fast and they considered the fact that charlie's dad is the one who did it it, it culminates in that they hire a lawyer named eb who hires perry mason who at this point is only a private investigator as well as an alcoholic which is true to the books who, to be fair <laughs> yes. And so eventually eventually some stuff spirals out of control. Uh, Emily Dotson, the wife, is the one that is then is accused. And then it's a race against time to, f- to prove that Emily Dotson didn't murder her son and maybe see if they can find some justice along the way. Yeah. No, that's... And again, like that sounds like it could be a Perry Mason story. And w- Okay, when I say not Perry Mason, it's exclusively not Perry Mason for anyone expecting to be like the, t- the original TV show. Because again, like I said, yes. the, it, it is drawing closer-ish to the book with the fact that it's an origin story kind of like the first book is a little bit um and what's interesting too is seeing the people who are in charge of this show because the creators here well there's a couple of creators because first of all this was apparently the longtime passion project of robert denny jr and he almost starred in this project until he i guess bowed out for they never gave a reason but i have to suspect that maybe it was from busy schedule plus a few other things 
That makes a lot of sense. He demands in, in so many things nowadays. And honestly, I think it I think it it really was a good call because you know Matthew or Matthew Reese is I think the perfect age to be something that you can see as a guy who's lived his life and has been and is trying to get through everything. Whereas Robert Downey Jr. is much much older, kind of thing. Like he, he would he would be perfect for like already established Perry Mason, but for what they're going for right now, I don't think it would have worked. Oh, I totally agree. I, I feel like Robert Downey Jr. is a bit too snarky. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of true, especially for this kind of show. But that makes me think, too, that it's like, so maybe was the show re- envisioned originally as being more like the old Perry Mason? Because, like you said, if that was the case, I could see Robert Downey Jr. Tra- playing the old Perry Mason version like that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, but then also the show is created by Ron Fitzgerald and Roland Jones, and... They're not immediately familiar to most people, but they were two of the major figures who wrote on the shows like Weeds, uh, Friday Night Lights, and Roland Jones also worked on Boardwalk Empire, which is why he got Tim Van Patten, who's pretty much the go-to director for all shows HBO, to direct the majority of this season uh, for that one. So there's a lot of talent behind this show. <laughs> you know, The cast for the show is phenomenal. Like, everybody they get for it. Uh, Matthew Reese is great. John Lithgow is amazing in it. When is John well Lithgow as, um, not? My favorite guy. Oh, yeah, exactly. But one of my favorite people who HBO and a lot of people finally started. I'm so glad people finally realized that Steven Root is a good actor. Right? <laughs> and they're letting oh. him do so many more things again. And I'm so happy about that. It's so great to see him do stuff that isn't just the dude from Dodgeball. I'm like, look, he was great in that movie, too. But it's nice to see him do dramatic roles as well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it was- it was great to see him so malicious. He's so perfect as the snark. He's the snarky prosecutor who's um, in charge of prosecuting Emily Dotson. Oh, and he is like he's this old timey slime ball that you're just like, <laughs> oh, I hate you so much, but I love when you're here every time. Yeah, no, they they got a lot of people recognized here too. Like Gretchen Moles in this, Robert Patrick, the Terminator, is in this one too. A freaking yes. Tatiana Maslany, who it's also great to see her getting a lot more work after Orphan Black and those kind of shows. Yeah, the the, the cast for this is really solid. They introduce a lot of the um, the main cast of normal Perry Mason as it progresses. His like um, like the detective that works with him a lot, Paul Drake. He's um he's African American in the show compared to what you know him being white in the original. Yeah, and that happens a lot. Although it's it's, it's a great actor too. It's uh, Chris Chalk who's playing that character. Yes, he's one. great. Um, and like at first, I since I wasn't really into Perry Mason originally, I was like, what is the point of this character originally? Because I didn't immediately know that. I had to look it up. But it does a pretty good job at like establishing him as something that makes sense to be within the story, as well as his own motivations. Cool. Yeah. So. I'm really curious now, I mean, again, I we've been joking about it a whole bunch, the fact that this isn't like Perry Mason. So what is this show, like, what does it feel like? What, what what do you think works or not doesn't work about the way they presented this show? It's a crime noir. It's, uh, it's plain and simple, and it's a it's a good crime noir. Like, it's it's just, it's really dark, it's really filmed in good, in ways that feel like normal noir stories. A, a lot of it works, but there's, a, a, some of the the religious parts of it don't work as well because they feel kind of random at points. Yeah, because like I know, I, uh, what's her name? Uh, Tatiana Maslany is one of the preachers or the head preacher of this group that's involved in the plot, right? Yes, she plays um, a character named Sister Alice. And I know Alex had a lot of issues with that part of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I felt at times that distracted and detracted from a lot of what was going on. Like, I enjoyed this show the most when it was a noir. But then... The church's involvement and everything just seemed tangential by the end of it, Aww. and rather inconclusive. Well, like the only reason it made sense 
by the time it was over for me was that the turns out the church is very much part of what was going on but my issue is that it very it keeps trying to pull in this idea about about faith and religion because there's a point where Perry Mason is just talking about the faith the fact that he was in the war he went through some horrible horrible stuff and he just he's he feels more atheist than he's ever been before and like there's a great line where he's just like he's like yeah God left me left me there kind of thing mm-hmm. and I, th- I think I think it's a great line but it's one of those things where it's like well but what does sisters Alice's plot really have to do with everything kind of thing because it's it goes it goes based in her background as well she she was a she was the daughter of a, this woman who was really who was fairly religious and they eventually sort of opened up this essentially like a mega church and there's a lot of dark stuff in her background like um some sexual stuff in the background unfortunately of course and there's and it's just one of those things where it's like well i get somewhat what you're trying to tell me but what was what did this have to do with emily dotson particularly kind of thing (laughs) like like it's it's used a lot of it's used for some shock value stuff like there's a point where later on she makes a wild claim that she can do something using faith and you're like but what is the point of this specific thing and it's and even like even the way it goes, you're still like, but what was the point of that <laughs> kind of thing? Yeah, it seems so hollow by the end of it. Yeah, uh. there's a point like there's a final scene between her and Perry, and you're like, so what was that? <laughs> like you just want to <laughs> like you want to walk up to Perry, and be like, could you tell me what that was about? Because I don't understand what any of this was about. You're just that okay. Scene cool. Felt like such a consolation prize. Oh, absolutely. Like. Like she just she says some stuff, he says some stuff, and you're like, drama, and you're like, no, <laughs> and you're just you're just confused by the whole thing, and that's honestly the really only the bad the only bad thing I have to say comes from that part of the plot, is Sister Alice's entire process. As uh, like, there's some great moments that it's used for. I'm not gonna lie, but the overarching like use of Sister Alice just didn't feel like it was was worth it in the in the runtime. Whereas, you know, seeing um, Perry Mason deal with his traumas, uh, the fact that he has a a bad relationship with his ex-wife, he's trying to constantly try to see his son, and him rising out out of this bad place to finally really try to help this woman in a way that only he can. And I thought that was, I thought that entire thing was great, like from beginning to end for Perry. As well as seeing, you know, the rise of, you know, Della, his, uh, EB's assistant, who's also his assistant by the time it's done, as well as just a really great confidant. Same with Paul Drake. I thought that was great. And the bad guys of this show, of the season, are just slimy and pure <laughs> to, like, the point where, like, you're expecting one of them to grow a large mustache be- and start <laughs> twirling it. Although Stephen Root has the mustache, and I think he was twirling it at some point, but I'm not too sure now that I think back to it. Man, that, that gives me some vibes of that show Defending Jacob, which I heard from Brad, where it's like, yeah, the villains there were pretty much just shy of a snidely whiplash mustache, it seems like in most cases. They're pretty they're pretty noir evil. Like, you can't get any more noir evil than some of these guys. And I, I don't want to like completely say who some of them are. Oh sure. Obviously a twist back it's, it's supposed to it's yeah. supposed to be somewhat of a twist. Although the one of the main ones is, is shown at the very end of I think of the first or the second episode. Ah. I'm just gonna say he's the fact that he's he's a police officer as well. 
<clears throat> and so you're you're constantly seeing parts of his 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 stuff going on. Like it cuts to him every now and then just to be like, what is he doing to cover up what he's done? Based on who's in the cast, I have a suspicion who it might be. Just saying. If you if you put him in a lineup, you're gonna be like that guy, like right away. <laughs> like I'm he not just gonna lie, looks suspicious. Yeah, from the get go, I was like that dude is suspicious, and then they're like, here's him being suspicious. You're like, called that shit. Like anybody could have called that, but but you're cool with it because he's so evil that you're just like, he's he's slimy, he's evil, and he's he's getting away with it because he's he's smart enough to to cover a lot of his tracks and you're just you're fascinated to see if if perry can nail this guy or if he can at least minimum get uh, emily dotson off for this murder and it's compelling like at first it's compelling because you're watching a detective slowly figure out the pieces of this and then it becomes even more compelling when he has to step up and now be a lawyer and figure out how to tell a jury what he has found without being a dick about it kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. He is so good at being a dick. If there's anything that I found impressive about his character, it was his ability to alienate literally everyone. It's amazing. Like, every time he talks to somebody, he'll he'll just say the snarkiest thing that just makes you go, God damn it, Perry. Don't, like, this, you're trying to get this person to like you, and he's like, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me a while to come to terms with him being the only person to call Paul Drake the N-word. Oh wow, really? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he's the only person, but he does it like he does it in a way to try to get a rile out of him, which works. Oh yeah. In uh... the in the worst possible way. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Paul Drake just kicks his ass, which is super cathartic. Nice. Yeah, there's a lot of moments that you're just there's a lot of really cathartic moments for certain characters. Um there's some that are just kind of heartbreaking. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that just it really works well in the show. There's like Della, Della's entire has her own stuff going on. She's trying to fight for like basically being being seen as a person, kind of thing. She also has a relationship with somebody that she she knows, as well as um, the stuff that was going on with Eb. I thought that stuff was fascinating. Even the conclusion of that story, as well as using John Lithgow's own son to play one of his relatives. Oh, really? Yeah. In, in the show. And I thought that I was saw great. him and immediately had to look him up. Yeah, he he got they got him. The, I don't I don't want to like completely spoil it, but yeah, John Lithgow's son shows up in the show for at least one episode as as one of his relatives. Oh, that's cool. I I kind of like those little connective tissues right now. They're just like, oh hey, that guy. Which uh, funny fact too, uh, the person playing Della Street, Juliet Rylance, she is the adoptive daughter of Mark Rylance from Bridger Spies. Really? Yeah. I uh, I just looked uh, that up. I'm like, wait, Rylance? That seems so familiar. It's like, oh, she's. Not directly related to Mark Rylance, but she is his daughter, technically. So it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of nepotism going on in this show. It seems. <laughs> it's funny though, because one of my only other complaints is that there are people that feel like real people, and there are people that feel like they jumped out of a noir story. Ah, uh, so it seems and, like that thing and they like interact a, with each other. They try to find that balance of like seriousness and kind of over the top noirishness kind of thing, or and. It works for the most part. Like for the most part, like there's a there's a character that plays um, Mason's original partner, um, played by Shay Wiggum. Yeah, oh, I, I love, love Shay Wiggum. I love that guy. And he he is noir as fuck. Like from the get go, <laughs> and you're just like, oh my god! His like face I love is noir you. Is that, is that. Like he, he exactly he looks and looks like a noir dude. 
And it's almost funny because Perry almost feels like the exact opposite, where he's like, Perry's a normal person, so you feel like Perry's calling him out for his noir shit kind of thing. And it, it works because they, they both balance each other out so well, as well as um, some of the stuff that happens with him as well. Like I just I love this show. It's every everything from like the core the that choreography, uh, the cinematography, uh, the the um, the music to it is this great little noir track. All of the acting is amazing. Yeah, and, no, it, and even its main conclusion I really like a lot. Yeah, no, they got a lot of talent behind the scenes and that kind of stuff too. Like uh, the guy who does the music is Terrence Blanchard, who did the music for Black Klansman, a bunch of Spike Lee movies, which is really great. Oh yeah, yeah, I love then, Terrence Blanchard. And then they clearly spent a lot of money in this show because I think the budget for this was seventy-four million dollars for the entire first season, which oh my god, yeah, which isn't Whoa. like the the most they've spent for a show because Game of Thrones outspends like crazy compared to this. But that's it's that's still it, it clearly shows in the even the trailers I've seen for the show. They they put a lot of work into the costuming, a lot of work into the the vehicles themselves. Like they have hand crank vehicles throughout this entire show. Wow! Like there's like none of the cars look like they were made any time past that 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 era and it and it, it works really well wow they... yeah, it's such an impressive period piece oh that's great and you know that's the funny thing though too say that the impressive period piece and we kind of mentioned before yeah this show is dark it's definitely again if you grew up watching the wholesome perry mason stuff the first episode of this show there's violence there's nudity there's full-on dick in one scene <laughs> it's yes. just like <laughs> It's like, yeah, just go in knowing that this is a very adult show in that kind of context. Well, the thing is, like, the first, like, what, ten minutes, they show what happens with Charlie. And either you're in or you're not is really what it comes down to. Mm. Like, because it starts off with a dead child. Like, that's that's pretty dark kind of thing. And especially with, like, what happened with the child. And, yeah, if you're in, you're in is really what it comes down to, I think, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I've read that a lot of people were turned off by just that. Like, that alone is what they couldn't handle. Yeah. And no, the show does a great job at telling you that even the characters in the show can't handle it. Well, and that's good, because, like, it feels like a lot of those shows have just become kind of, like, misery porn at that point, which is like, look at how nasty and dark and gross everything is. You know, it's it's nice to see people actually react and respond to it in those kind of situations. That's what I, that's what I think is great about the show, because any other show would have just been like, and then... The next thing happened where somebody was like double murdered, like by being stabbed all over the place. It's like it never really does that. It's always just like this is the darkest thing that's happened in this city for a lot of people, and people want justice. And it the the hatred, the anger, and the fear that people feel towards what happened fuels everything that goes on in this season. Okay, well, and clearly this show is finding an audience because this was only planned to be a miniseries, I believe, at first. And just on the first episode alone, it got 1.7 million viewers across all platforms, beating out Watchmen and The Outsider this year to be the highest premiere ratings in two years for HBO, which is... That's amazing. Yeah. And so they renewed Holy it for crap. season two. Yeah, they renewed it for season two almost immediately, too. So. Uh, I'll be intrigued to see how it goes with another season, considering more than half of this season was spent as a noir before it became a courtroom drama. Yeah, and that's one thing I heard that some people complain, like, while they liked overall some of the storytelling and the performance stuff, the plot, because of the stuff with the religious thing and that such, is, that seemed to be the biggest sticking point with people, is that it got, seemed a little meandering, a little messy at points. Yeah, know? I definitely agree with a lot of that. Like, it's not a flawless show. Like, if it was a flawless show, I, I would be suspicious, <laughs> this kind of thing. <laughs> like, it's, 
and I'm glad I'm glad that there were there are things I can point out and be like, look, this I didn't like this part of it, and because it means that this show, I think will work for a lot of people. Because every time I'm like, this is the perfect show, I meet somebody who's like, there's nothing like the perfect show, and I'm like, I'm like you're right, I shouldn't say it's the perfect show, <laughs> kind of thing. And and Perry Mason is just it's so close, it's so close to being perfect, and I I can't wait to see what they do with another season because I can't. I can't wait to see more of Matthew Rice as this character. I just, I just can't. I just love him. I just love him to death. Yeah, I'm so glad he's getting more exposed. Like, it feels like he was on the Americans forever before people were like, you know what, Matthew Rice is a good actor. It's like, yeah, we've been telling you that for how many years now? That happens yeah. to a lot of actors for some reason. Yeah. I may have to start watching the Americans in order to get a Matthew Rice fix after this. Yeah, well, I, I vaguely remember him from that show Brothers and Sisters, too. That one that had uh, Sally Field. I think she was in that one, too. So... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, that's great. But, yeah, any last thoughts before we move on to final thoughts and ratings? It left loose ends in a way where it's just like, this is how it happens in the real world. Not everything's satisfactory. But this is also fantasy, so maybe it should be satisfactory. <laughs> well, does that feel like that stuff that could get picked up with a second season then? or No. no I, don't, it, it, I think it, it was case-specific. Uh, it is its conclusion. Like, it is very much... But I, I like that about it, to be honest, because it wasn't... It, it points out that this version of Perry Mason isn't the kind of Perry Mason that it ends with. And then everybody was happy forever. <laughs> yeah, I like that they teased the classic ending for a Perry Mason. <laughs> yeah, they did, actually. Uh, I think, according to somebody, I think it was Johnny Neal or something, Chris and them talked about it not too long ago on one of their live things. They said that the ending was a reference to the first episode of Perry Mason. Oh, Cool. I, I've not seen enough Perry Mason to get that, but I'm sure Lexi would have got that if she saw it. So, <laughs> Well then, uh, Alex, why don't you give us your final thoughts? Final thoughts? Uh, this is a really well-produced show and just an overall well-acted ensemble from John Lithgow to Juliet Rylance, Shea Wiggum and Chris Jock and Matthew Reese leading the charge. It got a little meandering for me at times, but when it was a pulpy noir, I fucking adored it. So... I'd give it eight and a half out of ten. Uh, eight half, eight half out of ten. What? Oh, what? Yeah. Uh, I'll say loose threads kept in matchboxes. Ah. I did like that a lot, actually. <laughs> All right, then, Mike. I I love the show. I think it's one of the, the best things HBO's ever put out, and HBO has been putting out a lot of good stuff in the oh, past yeah. few years. And uh, this is just, I think, another one of those on top things. Uh, this was my. This is my di- my weekly thing for a while. Like I I signed up for it just because I was like ah, I like the idea of Perry Mason, but when I was when I was in it I was in it. Like I was like I don't even care if I'm reviewing this. The next season I'm just watching, like period. And it's it's like I said the acting's great in it, the cinematography is great in it, the costumes everything, just is is gorgeously well done. Like everybody who worked on this put their heart and soul in it. And by the time I was done I was just I was just wanted so much more. I would have to give it 9 out of 10 stolen bodies. Mm. No, that's great to hear you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to actually hear that after the whole backlash on the fan base about Perry Mason that there actually is people who really did genuinely enjoy the show for what it was. Absolutely. Like, everybody I've talked to who's actually watched the show all the way through, they were just, they can't get enough of it. And I'm, I'm really happy with that. That's great. Well, I guess we can consider this review for now closed. <laughs>